Well, good morning. I am so glad that you are here with us today. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I want to say thank you to Pastor Mike for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. And we're going to talk about the God of the impossible. Like, I'm really excited about that. And I was thinking about how, like, the idea that God can do the impossible, it, it's pretty foundational, right? Pretty straight ahead. And a lot of us are really familiar with the idea. But sometimes something that's really, that's basic and routine and normal, just you recapture it in a new and a fresh and a special way. And I was thinking back to this summer um, when, of all things, I reached into the fruit bowl and grabbed a peach. And like a, a peach is a pretty ordinary, standard, everyday sort of a thing, right? But there was something about this peach. You know what I'm saying? You've ever had one of those? It was just like just the right amount of firm without being squishy and soft without being gooey. And, and I took that first bite and oh my heavens, that was one of those bites where the, the taste buds just fire off and it's crazy sweet and it's juicy and gooey and the stuff dripping down kind of to my chin and down into my t-shirt and everything else like that. And it was amazing. And all of a sudden, something that I'd known all the time, peaches are pretty good, became something that was like, oh my gosh, I'm having the best day ever. I love peaches. My life changed or something as simple as a really good peach. But so similarly, I think we all know God, God can do the impossible. He's a big God. He does wonderful things. And that's a routine truth for us. But today I am praying that something about what God does while we're here captures our imagination, right? And reminds us with a fresh sense of how good God is. And, and just that we would experience God's goodness kind of flowing down our faces and down into our soul because he re he's renewed with us a sense of that. So let's just start with a passage. It's out of the book of Mark. Might be familiar, might not be, but it says this. With people, it is impossible. But not with God, for all things are impossible with God. Just hang on to that idea for a moment. All things are possible with God. Jesus said this at the end. He had just finished having an encounter with a guy, a guy who had a lot of means and a lot of wealth and a lot of influence. And Jesus had challenged this particular individual, hey, if you really want to follow me, leave those things behind, get rid of your positions, uh, possessions, and come with me. And the guy couldn't do it. He said, I... I I, I don't have it in me to let go of these things that are important to me. And he walked away sad. And, and Jesus was saying to the disciples afterwards, he said, yeah, it's, it's hard for someone who's wealthy to get into the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's actually so hard that it would be easier to get a whole camel through the eye of a needle than for that to happen. And look, God's not anti-wealth, and Jesus wasn't talking about possessions. He was talking about the fact that possessions sometimes get a grip on us rather than us having a hold of them, right? And whether it's possessions or whether it's relationships, whether you have lots of things or just a very few things, if, if we're holding onto them so tightly that we can't let go of them to follow Jesus, they own us. And Jesus was saying, and it's impossible. And so they said, well, if it's, like, if it's that hard, how's that gonna work for anybody? We've, we're all holding onto things. And that's what Jesus said. Hey, with people, it is impossible. We'll never find our way <clears throat> into the kingdom of God on our own, but with God, all things are possible. Every last thing. And here's just, I want to look back maybe into what stands behind God's ability to do the impossible, right? Before anything ever was, before there was a moment of time or any creation, there was God. 
And he spoke the word, and everything that is came into existence, right? From light to, uh, to planets to the cosmos to earth and everything. It's like it all, and he spoke that into existence. And things that weren't there before then were because he made them right in that moment. And he created this universe, and he created it exactly the way that he wanted to. In that, in, in that moment when he was creating, all possibilities were open to God. He could have created this world any way that he wanted. He could have created a world where gravity pulled us up. And that would be weird, but he could have done it. He, he could have done... He could have created a, a cosmos in which time works backwards. He could have created a, a world in which, like, calculus was easy to learn and made sense to all of us. But that's not the world he created. He, everything was possible. He created that world. And then, kind of like an author creates a, a story world when he writes a book, God begins telling his story in this world that he's created. And he fills it like every good story with protagonists, good guys. And antagonists, bad guys, right? And, and there, are, um, there are tensions that build. And there are triumphs and there are setbacks and there's disappointments and there's victories. There's all kinds of stuff. God is telling the story that he, of all possible stories, he's telling the story he chooses to tell and he's doing it here in human history. And then he does the most impossible thing of all. He put you into that story. Out of all the possible combinations of DNA and, and personality types and body shapes and, and gifts and skills, he created you specifically and placed you at a, a specific point in this story that he's telling you for particular purposes and for particular reasons. He set you up in his story. He created you and he created me and plopped us down in the middle. Now, Let's just zoom in with me, if you will, onto the story. Let's not look, up, let's not look at God's story from the outside big picture. Let's, let's look in on you and me and the other cast of characters in the story that God's telling. We're characters in God's story. We act. We make decisions. We live with the consequences of some of those decisions. Some things go well. Other things go more difficult. But sooner or later, as we live our lives and we do all of this, inevitably... In this story in which you and I live, we come to a point where our situation is impossible. We come to a point in our story where what we need to have happen isn't possible within the story that God's created. We're stuck. We're at the end of ourselves. We're powerless to make happen what has to happen. We find ourselves in, in a position where what we need isn't possible. I need a job, but nobody's hiring. Those of us who lived through that season of the pandemic, you know what I'm talking about. That's a tough place, and it feels impossible. Now it's more like, hey, I have a job in a company, and I'm hiring, and I can't find anybody to fill the spot. That may feel equally impossible. I may feel like I want to be married, but nobody, I can't seem to find anyone who seems worth marrying, or maybe I found them, but they're less interested in me. We want kids, but the doctors have said that that's not possible. My finances are a dumpster fire. I will never recover from where I am. My marriage is over. I don't even know how to start again. 
I'm not strong enough to overcome these addictions that have somehow become a part of my life. The test came back positive. The diagnosis is terminal. What it is to live in this story is that occasionally we do get to that point where we find that what I need isn't possible in this world that God has created. And we can get stuck in that spot. It's a painful spot. It's a dire spot. But this morning I want to remind us but that that spot for all its desperation and all of its uncertainty and all of its fear, those are the moments before the miracle. That there's a God who works the impossible who joins us in those moments. Let me tell you about one. Just super quick from scripture. Back in the Old Testament, God delivered his children out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the promised land, and now they had to go battle the different uh, groups of people that were there in the land that God had promised to them. And so in one of these battles, they were doing really well. They were kicking tail. They were winning. But the day was coming to an end, and there wasn't going to be enough time to finish off the battle before the sun set. And so Joshua, the ruler, the commander says, commanded the sun, stand still in the sky. Give us more time to finish this battle. And it did. Scientists will tell you that if in a moment's notice the earth just stopped rotating so that the sun would stay still in the sky, it would wreak havoc on the entirety of the earth. The oceans from all the rotational energy would just kind of splash off into the atmosphere. We'd be flung from where we stand to somewhere else. Everything, all we know of, according to the laws of physics, would be destroyed if such a thing happened. And so they said, it can't happen. To which I reply, yeah, that's why they call it a miracle. By, by definition, it's something happening that can't happen. Hey, if NASA can do it, it's not a miracle. It can be cool technology, it can be space age and cutting edge, but it's not a miracle till only God can do it. And we serve the God who is capable of doing it, to be sure. He's the author. From outside the story, he can make whatever changes inside the story that he wants to, right? We're living it out day in, day out, based on the rules that he's created in this earth that he created for us. But at any point that the author wants to say, hey, you know what? I'm adding, for, I'm adding to that character a new superpower. Guess what? He can now talk underwater. An author can do that. Think of the movies that we love and the stories that we tell. They're full of all kinds of things that can't really happen. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, like 120 different films and stuff or whatever it is, right? And, and they're all full of things that can't really happen. But we love them because someone has created, a, looked into a universe and said, hey, I'm going to write a story where these things can happen. They're not limited within the story. They're speaking to it from without. God comes to those moments, our moments, before the miracle. And he's not limited by all the things that limit it and make it impossible for us. He is the divine author who can do what he wants and adjust the rules for this world that he's created any way that he wants to that way. I am convinced, and I hope you are too, that God is a God of the impossible, that he can do anything that he wants to. And, and if you're not convinced of that, then you don't understand the God it is that we are talking about. We're talking about the God who exists outside of all of this and who stands over it, above it, not limited by this world and its restrictions. He created the natural laws that govern this world, and because he created them, he can temporarily set them aside any time he wants. The author can make anything he wants happen. Nothing is impossible 
with God. Nothing. Now, here's the thing. In my experience, most of us aren't really caught up wondering, can God really do that? To the extent that we've come to a place where we believe that there is a God who created all, we're pretty convinced that he can. The question that keeps us up at night and keeps troubling us during the day is not can God, but will he? I know God can heal my loved one, but will he? I know that God can restore this broken relationship, but will he? And in all honesty, I will say, very often, when I'm forced to live in that tension between knowing that God can, but wondering if he will, in the uncertainty of that, um, I perform poorly. I find myself frustrated. I'm wondering, I, God, I know you can, but it appears that you're, you're not, and why won't that be? And those types of things can bring out some of the worst in me. We... Um, we recently got a really, um, I will say, bitterly disappointing result from a medical test uh, for my wife, Rochelle. And we'd been praying and we'd been mustering up the faith and we were believing for a great outcome from, this, from where we are going and we got to the doctor. It wasn't like that. Really disappointing. Um, we knew God can, but I was struggling with the will. And, and along with the will God, there was also the why not and why not yet. So as I do, a lot of times when I struggle and, and I'm in a tough place, it's helpful for me to put my thoughts into words and to try and express the wrestling. And this expresses where my heart was in that. I suspect you've been here in a place kind of like that as well. I was asking the Lord this, what do you want from me? What will it take? I have nothing left to offer. God, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for things to become unbearable? We were there a year and a half ago. Are you waiting for a sense of desperation? God, have you not heard my daily cries or noticed my midnight tears? Are you waiting for me to learn something? I've not stopped begging you to teach me. What are you waiting for? I need to see that you notice or that you even care. Can't you just tell me, God, what do you want from me? One of the things that those thoughts reveal about me is kind of ugly. It reveals that I just want to be the one telling the story. I want to be the author. I want to control the narrative. I want to be in charge, and I want to ensure the results that I want. I'm sure I'm alone in that, but that's where I was. It also reveals that somewhere back behind my cognitive brain, somewhere in there, I really believe that I can manipulate God. God, what do you want from me? God, how can I maneuver you into a position that you'll do something that you wouldn't otherwise do? The audacity of the arrogance of treating God like I'm selling him a used car and saying, God, what's it going to take to get you into a miracle today? That's not a shortcoming of God. That's a, that's a shortcoming of me and a shortcoming in my view of how grand God is. And it certainly reveals that I'm not in right relationship with God. 
And I want to encourage us. There are some of us here today, maybe many of us, who are in that spot where we know God can. We're not sure that he will, and that's really hard to take. You can be honest with the God who loves you. And some of your reasoning can be flawed, and you could be theologically incorrect, and God is there for you and with you. Because God never deals with us on the basis of our performance and perfection. God is the God who embraces us in our brokenness and in our imperfection, and then over time makes us more and more like him. So we can cry out to God in those places when we're broken and when it's difficult. You see, it's in that place of relationship, of relating right and correctly with God, that we become more and more convinced of his good plans and purposes for us. Our text today is going to come from Daniel, the third chapter. It's one of those Sunday school chapters that if you grew up in church at all, you heard the story over and over and over again. And the chapter itself is like really long and really wordy uh, and stuff like that. And so one of the things I want to do is uh, summarize kind of the front part of it. Uh, Israelites were captive to Babylon. Babylon's ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, was pretty full of himself. So he built up a big statue and said, you all should worship my statue. No matter where you come from, no matter what faith you have, no matter what you believe, I demand that you worship me and the way that I want you to worship. And so there's some music that's going to play. And when it does, everybody has to worship or they're in big trouble. That's the backdrop. Okay, here we go. He says, now, if you're ready... At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of musical instruments, to fall down and worship the statue I have made very well. If you're willing to do that, great. But if you do not worship, you will be immediately thrown into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And then here's where it gets serious. And what God is there who can rescue you from my hands? What God could there possibly be that could do the impossible and rescue you from my hands at that point? That, for three young men, was the moment before the miracle. That's where it's all on the line, where walking faithful to the calling of God and worshiping him only comes into direct conflict with what others are saying has to be done. And if you stand by your, your convictions, if you stand with integrity before God, the outcome is certain agonizing, blazing, burning death. That's an impossible situation. And that's the one that they found themselves in. Shadrach, carrying on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Um, Spoiler alert. They stand up to the king. The king throws them in the, or to, the, uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fiery furnace, and they survive. Miraculously, the Lord appears in the flames with them, protects them, and they escape, and they come out of the fire. And there's such a testimony to God's saving power that, that in the whole land, the glory of God is, is risen up, and he is praised. So there's a miracle on the other side of that, Right? 
But in that moment, when the challenge is laid on them, they don't know that. They don't have the benefit of knowing how the outcome is going to be. They only know the challenge in the impossible situation in front of them. That is their miracle. And in that moment, right there, the moment before the miracle, they need God to do something which doesn't seem to be possible. And yet what they say in that moment conveys such a huge, huge faith. What leads them into God's provision of the impossible is this absolutely huge faith. And we see it uh, that their huge faith uh, shows up in three different components of what they say. Their huge faith provides for us a model of how we can walk in huge faith in those moments when we need the impossible as well. The first thing that they say is that, God, you can. Okay? So huge faith requires unflinching knowledge that God can. Unflinching knowledge. How big is the problem? How bad is the situation? How dire are the circumstances? Huge faith says, God can. That's not a problem for God. He's not outside of his depth. He can do that. They're able to say, God can. But beyond that, they say more, and their huge faith shows that faith requires an unwavering belief that God will. Not just God can, but an unwavering belief that God will. And you know what the key piece on that one is? Unwavering. Have you ever been through a season when, for all your diligent prayer, for all of your doing your best to please God and walk in relationship with him and trusting him with every need, that it feels like prayer after prayer after prayer doesn't receive the answer that you were hoping for? That season where I I prayed for healing and they didn't get well. I prayed for restoration in a relationship and it didn't happen. And those disappointments, man, they're very real. And they can weigh on us. They become a burden. They make it hard to walk with an unwavering belief that God will because it's hard to open up my heart one more time because I don't want to be disappointed in God one more time. And so sometimes it just feels like it's a little easier to waver on the belief and begin to step away because God didn't come through the way that I wanted to. That God didn't come through in the way that I felt like within this story I needed him to. And maybe you find yourself in that place now. Maybe today there's a huge impossible need in front of you. But because of disappointments, you, you, you find it difficult to fight for that unwavering belief. I want to encourage you, do not give up. Do not give up. It is true that sometimes God's plans are other than what we want. That is true. But remember, we're inside the story. We don't see the whole story. If we could see the whole story from the outside as God sees it from the outside, we wouldn't be disappointed. We'd see with greater clarity. And so it requires a huge faith to keep contending for the belief that God will. The third thing about huge faith is it requires an unyielding devotion to God regardless. You see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they say? They said, our God can deliver us from you. You're not all that. God can deliver us from you. 
And we believe that he will. But even if he doesn't, if I'm wrong about the he will part, I'm still all in and belonging to him. It is soul crushing for me to talk with people who had the very real experience of placing all of their faith in God and believing in God for the impossible and believing the miracle and then when it didn't happen to say I'm tapping out I can't serve a God who would allow that to happen and to see them to walk away I don't I don't say that judgmentally I understand the grief stricken heart that feels that way but I'm crushed by the loss that comes when we walk away from the God who wants to do the impossible and wants to make it well and who we're told in Scripture ultimately and finally does in the ways that matter the most. God is not ours to command. And when, and when the God to whom we turn for the impossible has something different in mind, we got to contend with an unyielding devotion that says, God... I don't, I don't walk away because of disappointment. I just dive deeper into your love, deeper into your grace, and try to do that. Now, that's a, that's a tall order. These are hard things to walk in, to live in the tension of I know God can, and I really believe he will, but sometimes he doesn't, and now I've got to live with that. That is a tense place, a difficult tension to be in. How do we, how do we live there? How do we sustain this? We do it in relationship with God. We don't, there's no other way to maintain these kinds of convictions outside of just knowing and being with God. We can't discipline ourselves enough to do it. We can't train ourselves enough to do it. We can't learn enough to do it. It's not about that. It's about the kind of relationship. And that's really where this morning's action points kind of come out of. How do we create the kind of relationship that can state with faith, God can, he will, but even if he doesn't, I'm standing with him and alongside him. And the first action point I just want to mention is this. The first thing we do to create that relationship with God that's rightly ordered is to cultivate a life of prayer. That's the only way. Prayer is where God hears our heart, we hear God's heart, and we work things out in a very relational fashion. Prayer is so often, that's why so often prayer is the place where we encounter the impossible made possible. Uh, about a month ago, we had a Tuesday night prayer gathering for the church here. Uh, if you were there, you remember it was an incredible night of worship, some powerful prayer. It was wonderful. We're having another one this Tuesday, by the way, Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Please come. Please be here. It's part of that place where we create and sustain that very relationship with God. But on this particular Tuesday, um, mid-afternoon before the prayer night, I got a phone call, uh, first from my wife and then from my daughter. Um, it was brutal. So let me set up the story this way. I'd like to introduce you to Copper, my daughter and son-in-law's dog, uh, named after Copper and the... Fox and the Hound, which was my daughter's favorite movie in her whole life. She, she wanted nothing more than, than the red, red bone coon hound named Copper. And because I'm a bad parent, I did not provide that for her. So once, once she was married, they went ahead and, and took care of that, and that's fine. So Copper's great. He's kind of fun. He's kind of cowardly lion and kind of 
awkward and stuff like that. They took a trip up to Central California, uh, where they where they have some family, and then outside of that, they went a few a few hours north from there to where they go kind of hunting and doing some stuff. And while they were there, um, they were firing some guns. A gun went off too close to copper, and cowardly copper took off like a bolt, off leash, off. You know, he's normally a well-behaved dog, but not then. You ever seen a dog that's just freaked out? All reason and rationality is gone. They're just gone. So there he is on 25 square miles of open wilderness area full of bogs and rice paddies and trees and shrubs and all kinds of stuff. And he is just gone. Running faster than anyone can keep up. Nobody knows where they're going. So, and so I've got my daughter who is broken hearted. I'll be honest. I can live without the dog. I, I, I like the dog. Don't get me wrong. But, but my heart was crushed because my daughter was broken. And when your daughter calls you on the phone and is in tears and is blubbering and say, Daddy, I feel dead inside because copper's gone. That is heartbreaking. There's a lot of things I can do to make things better as a dad, right? There's nothing I could do on this one. There's nowhere to go. And this is an impossible situation. So, so that's what was on my mind when we came to prayer night. I'll confess to being a little bit distracted. We prayed with people and, and we worshiped and it was really, really was wonderful. But there did come a moment where Rochelle and I kind of gathered together and we just prayed. We prayed for our daughter. We prayed for our son-in-law. We prayed for the dog. But at that point, it had been like six hours, not a sight of them. Sun's going down. It's getting cold. Kendra has driven down a couple hours to be home without her dog. Her husband and her husband's and her father-in-law are in are just stuck up in that camping area looking, hoping, praying. Left prayer night. I believed God could. It didn't look like he was. Nine o'clock that night, we got the call. And they were back. There's a God who cares about the things that matter. In the grand scheme of God's whole story through history, one lost dog is not that significant. But I'll tell you, it was in the life of my daughter, it mattered. And I was very concerned for her, and she's okay. I'm not sure what your situation is. You may feel like my situation, it doesn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of human history. It's just this little thing I'm going through, and it's impossible, but maybe it doesn't matter. Can I tell you, God God cares, and it does matter. God can. God will. And then even if he doesn't, he walks with us into whatever that means for us because of his love and because of his grace. So, Come to prayer on Tuesday night. If you've got a lost dog, come. If you've got any kind of need, come. But can I throw this in there too? Don't wait for Tuesday night. If prayer is that relational place where we connect with the Lord, like that, that should, that's daily, right? That's every day saying, Lord, here's the cry of my heart. God, here's what's going on. God, here's the impossible that's in front of me. Here's what I have going on. Please, would you help me? with that. Okay, so cultivate a life of prayer. And then also, one of the things that we have to do is to celebrate the victories. 
We need to celebrate the victories when they come. So getting to tell a story like that, I'm just celebrating. God, you did that. You are awesome. In the Old Testament, when God did something great for the nation of Israel, he told them, make an altar, pile up a bunch of rocks, and leave a reminder. There's nothing magic and nothing special about a pile of rocks. But he said, but do that because generations from now, grandkids and great-grandkids will come back and go, hey, what's up with the rocks? And it'll remind you, hey, in this place and at this time, in this impossible circumstance, God did something. It happened. So if a pile of rocks is what reminds you, go get some rocks and stack them. If writing it down in a journal over time that these are the times and the places in my life where God has come through and done the impossible, write it down and read it often. Type it into your tablet uh, dictate it into your phone, whatever it takes, but create those places of remembrance where you, we can celebrate the victories. We don't have to, we don't have to, it's funny, we don't have to remind ourselves of the losses and disappointments, right? The times that they don't work out, they seem to really stick with us. But we can lose sight of the victories and we need to celebrate them together, okay? Thirdly, we need to collaborate with others along the way. I think it's no accident that when it came time for the guys in this story to stand up against Nebuchadnezzar, that there were three of them together. Because you know how it is when you're alone and when things are going against you and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're broken and you're weary, you are not your best self. And you need others around you to encourage you, to say, we're in this with you, to remind you that God can and he will, to remind you that you're strong enough to continue going, right? I'll tell you where that happens best for so many is in life groups. Groups of people that are meeting together on a weekly basis to say, hey, when you're weak, I can be strong. When I'm weak, I'm going to need you to be strong. But we are doing this thing together. It's tough to stand and believe for the impossible when you're all alone. But gather around a, like-minded pe- a group of like-minded people around you and he- hear them encourage you and stand alongside with you and pray with you and weep with you. And then when God comes through to celebrate with you and to rejoice with you, that's powerful. And the time to create those kinds of relationships and to get to know those people is not when the crisis hits. I just, I'm just going to tell you that if you're, not in, if you're not connected with other people who will be strong when you are weak, when the crisis hits, is not the time to look around and go, oh gosh, I need some of those people. Where are they? No, the, the, the time is now. Because you either need those people or other people need you to be that person. But life groups where that happen, I want to encourage you to get involved and get connected that way for sure. Final action point is this. We need to culminate each day in Thanksgiving. This is super, super practical. Whatever your nightly routine is, crawling into the jammies, washing the face, putting on the creams and the cleanser and the layers or whatever it may be, um, reading a book, a chapter, maybe whatever it is, whatever your routine is, can you include a simple time of thanksgiving? Just to end the day, to say, God, I, I would like to be reminded in my own consciousness about your presence in my life. So thank you that in that moment you came through. You gave me the words I needed for that, per, for that person. God, in that moment when I was angry and, and I failed and I lashed out with a harsh word towards that person, you, you convicted my spirit. And yes, it was agonizing to have to apologize and repent and humble myself before them. But God, you, you restored that relationship because you spoke that to me. 
God, you met me at my point of need. God, you provided for me in this way. God, you were with me in that dark moment. Every time we spend just a few minutes in Thanksgiving, we are reminded that God can, that God will, and that in so many cases, he already has. I hope that the reality that God is waiting to do the impossible in your life, whatever that means, I hope that's capturing you. I hope it's grabbing you that way. We're going to close the service in just a moment. There's the band will come out and um, uh, they'll play some music. And while they're doing that, we just want to reflect a little bit and respond to what God's doing. So uh, if you're a believer in Christ, we encourage you to, during that time to receive the elements of communion. They're in the seat backs in front of you. And you can do that just as a reminder of, of Christ's uh, body being broken and his blood being shed. You can use that time maybe simply to begin that process of crying out to the Lord and saying, God, I need a miracle. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to continue to have an unwavering belief that you will, even when it's hard for me to do that. Maybe it's your time to intercede for the impossible that somebody else needs. And maybe, just maybe, uh, this, is, this is the time for you to say yes to Jesus Christ. And maybe you've heard us talking about what God wants to do and how he wants to work, and you, and you never have before, but you're ready to step across that line of faith and say, I don't even understand what it means, but I, I want to understand it. I want to walk in it. That can happen, and you can, make, and you can pray about that in that moment. And if you do, we would please see me or uh, Pastor Mike or Pastor Brian or any, uh, anyone back at Connection Point. We'd love to walk with you kind of into that next season of life as well. There's something exciting, right? We talked about the author telling the story in human history. Then the author did the truly impossible. He stepped into the story. He became a character, lived his life, ministered, showed us what God was like, died on a cross so that we could be forgiven of sin. He made that a possibility. After the service today, we're going to celebrate some people who have said yes to that. We've got a couple people being baptized. I want to invite you right after the service, we're going to zip out, and we're going to baptize them outside on the patio and celebrate with them. And, uh, and celebrate what God has done. Lord, thank you for the way that you do the impossible. And God, I simply ask, would you increase our faith? God, take us past the knowing that you can. God, sustain us in our ability to believe that you will. If necessary, God, give us the strength to live it out when the miracle we think we really need is something that you know better. God, we love you. We thank you. We offer ourselves to walk humbly before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.